When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor. And Colin, let's just jump right in. South Carolina got back on track. Against all odds, not entirely against all odds, but they were a slight underdog against Texas A&M this past weekend. They get a win. They get to 2-2. Two and two. They got that coveted second win that you and I have both been looking for in the first five SEC games. And they did it with a game to spare, remarkably, after starting conference play 0-2. So just before we dig into the specifics of the game, which I think were fascinating uh, in their own right, how important is it now that South Carolina has gotten that second SEC win? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's huge. Uh, we talked at the beginning of SEC play that if you can get two of these first five, the schedule lightens up tremendously after that. And they got it. I mean, they went in there and backs were against the wall and... It was about as bad of a first five minutes for South Carolina as you could possibly get. And then you had all of these injuries and bowel trouble. And South Carolina somehow, someway came out there and with like a six-man rotation went out there and and won. And Texas A&M is not a great team uh, by any stretch this year. But you still went on the road, beat an SEC team, two years removed from a Sweet 16, and you did it with two rotational guards and your starting small forward out. So you, there are positives to take. And you did it winning by double digits. It wasn't like you hit a shot late. You won it by 14 points. This time last week, Carolina was 0-2 in SEC play, and people wanted to fire Frank Martin. And the Tennessee loss was terrible for a lot of reasons, the most glaring of which was the, I guess, immediate ending of that game. You had the opportunity to have the ball last to take the last shot. You obviously turn it over. You don't even get a shot off. You have a timeout. There were a bunch of things. People were upset, and then you're looking ahead to Kentucky and at Auburn thinking, how are you going to steal one of those two games? They obviously take care of Kentucky. We talked about that extensively last week. And then, like you mentioned, it's not like A&M was necessarily a stiff test, although it did present some unique problems for South Carolina, even before you add in the extenuating circumstance, which is the extenuating circumstances, which we'll talk about in just a minute, but having to go on the road, a team that's got a lot of veterans, a team that's a, a good defensive team I didn't expect the game to be as high scoring as it was 81 to 67 I don't know what the over under closed at on this game but I'm sure uh, the over hit in this one and you go in there and you're able to get that second win and now put yourself in a position to play an Auburn team that's struggling that's now lost their last two games in SEC play and obviously the back half of this podcast we're going to discuss what that Auburn game is going to look like that is on the road for South Carolina where they have undoubtedly now been, been, been really really good yeah Weird. so much better on yeah. the road and, and it's and early in the season it's like Oh, yeah, you're better on the road because you played three road games, and it was like, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, whatever teams. Uh, UMass was, that was here. No, UMass was, that was up there. In, Who was oh, here? yeah, I remember UMass. Yeah. <laughs> that was freezing cold, foot foot and a half. Oh, you snow. went to Boston? Yeah. Oh, wow. Amherst, thank you very much. Amherst? Okay. Yeah, that right, was, that's a story right. in and of itself. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's right, because um, you're, a, you're a North, uh, yeah, you're from, aren't you from like Syracuse or something? No, I have a roommate from Syracuse, uh, but I'm from, I'm from Irmo. Oh, you're from, oh, I knew that. Yeah. I knew that. We've talked yeah, about no, that. I went up. But you and said I was, you used to watch a lot of Syracuse basketball one time, which is what I thought. Yeah, and no, UMass, we're getting off track, but UMass was seriously, I mean, I went up there. My flight was canceled going up there because it was on the heels of a yeah, storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flew back into Providence, had to uh, drive whole butt, I mean, into, into Amherst to make it in Frank Ledison for shoot around that night. And so I'm sitting there. I mean, I'm going down these roads that have just been snowed on for like 36 hours trying to get to Amherst. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was an adventure. There you go. But yeah, no, foot yeah, and a half. Yes, the that, most that snow that I've road. ever heard. But it but, was on the road. I vividly remember that. I remember some of those road stats early in the season. It's like, well, you know, how do you really know? But there's enough of a sample size and enough variety of different kinds of teams that South Carolina's played that I think it's fair to say that they're a much, much, much better team on the road than they have been at home, at least just in terms of consistency. Texas A&M was, you know, a good example of that. Not a great team, but it's an important win. And now, like I said, you set yourself up to play an Auburn team that's been struggling to get a third win, which when you and I were making these predictions, again, two out of your first five 
was sort of the bare minimum. If you get three, all of a sudden you're ahead of schedule. You still will probably be looking to go four and one in your next five. And then all of a sudden you have the luxury of you don't even need to go five and three in your last eight to get to that 20th win. You can go four and four. Um, we're getting way too far ahead of ourselves, though. This game was about South Carolina demonstrating a resilience, a mental fortitude, and a confidence that we have seen in spurts this year, but has also been conspicuously absent in a lot of games. We saw it against Virginia as they stood strong amidst an impressive second half run by Virginia, and in fact, we're still able to pull away and win that game going away. There have other, there have been other times, you know, early in that Florida game, South Carolina did just enough to to hang around, and we have seen glimpses of this team you know, showing resolve, you know, that Kentucky game, having to come back from down, you know, not even protecting yeah, elite. It's a different, down 11 or 13 points. In yeah. The second half. A different kind of intensity, a different kind of adversity. And this was even yet a different kind of adversity. And I, I just didn't know what to expect because we've also seen them collapse in those same kinds of situations when you're down against Stetson and you just absolutely lose it. When you have an opportunity late against Boston, you know, just to make some shots to, to get yourself back in that game, to take a lead late and to win it. And you don't do it, you know, Tennessee, Plenty of opportunities to win that game, and you don't do it. So it's just been kind of a mixed bag in terms of what is this, what what psychological frame of mind are we going to get from this team? And as you mentioned, down TJ Moss dealing with a family emergency, down Trey Hannibal dealing with a sprained ankle. You're down Keyshawn Bryant, who gets a head injury three minutes into the game, going for a 50-50 ball. You play 11 guys in the game, including Nathan Nelson. Trey Anderson got his first minute of SEC play. Yeah. Mike and Kotsar, you win by 14. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you win by 14. You win going away. You have an yeah. unbelievable shooting night. Mike Kotsar, who we expected to have a bounce-back game after Florida and did have a really nice game, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, only scored 6 points. You know, again, you told me, no Trey Hannibal, no TJ Moss. Keyshawn Bryce is going to have 0 points and just play 3 minutes. A.J. Lawson's only going to play 16 minutes because he was in foul trouble, and Mike Kotsar is going to only give you 6 points. I, I watched the game. I'm now looking at the box score. I'm not sure this actually adds up to 81, given no. those circumstances. Yeah, and I remember we were doing we were at wedding registries, doing some stuff and eating lunch before going back to watch the game. And uh, I look at my fiance and I told her, I get the the tweet from USC that says, TJ Moss and Trey Hannibal are going to play. And I look at him like, I don't think that they're going to be able to win this game. And I thought South Carolina had a really good chance going into it that to beat Texas A&M, but you lose two guys like TJ and Trey who have been so good for you as of late, it's going to be hard to win. And give them credit, Jair Bolden stepped up in a huge way. Uh, AJ Lawson had two really big threes late, I think, in a single-digit lead and hits two threes late to, you know, kind of seal it. And then Jermaine Cousinot, I mean, that dude's that dude's a baller. Um, SEC Freshman of the Week. Yeah, SEC Freshman of the Week. I mean, he's been – he finished plus 19 against Texas A&M, yeah. which is insane. And great um, defense, too. I mean, some stuff that shows yeah. up in the box score, some stuff that does not, but just, you know, staying in front of his guy, you know, forcing guys to take Stuff they've had jumps. problems with right. this year. Right. I mean, I mean, and, and Jermaine gives you that kind of physicality, that, that toughness that, I, I mean, honestly, you probably haven't had in a guard since Sundarius Thornwell. Um, not comparing him to Sundarius Thornwell, but just that physicality you get. Hassani had it a little bit, but... I mean, he he just wasn't as uh, I guess physically imposing as either one of those guys. Yeah, anyway. and Jermaine's a little bit more physically imposing. Hassani was quick and mm-hmm. could get to you and deny, which helps. But yeah, Jermaine's I mean, like you're probably taller than Hassani. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, so Jermaine just gives you a little bit more of that Cinderius Thornwell vibe uh, about him. Not saying he's going to go down as maybe arguably the greatest player in program history, mm-hmm. but um, skill set wise, I think he gives you. And you saw it. I mean, he had a more efficient night shooting which he hadn't had against. He put up numbers against Tennessee and Kentucky, but didn't have necessarily the most efficient nights. 7-13 shooting 7-13 shooting, hit three three-pointers, uh, shot a little bit less than 50% from three, uh, made both free throws, hauled in eight rebounds, had five as, or no two rebounds and three assists, uh, only two fouls in a game where they seemed like they were calling everything. Uh, did turn the ball over eight times, which obviously needs to cut back on, but you you're starting to see flashes of him being this team's point guard moving forward and, and being a good one at that. And, and not only because of the scoring option, which is sort of, I guess, after that Kentucky game, it's like, yep, well, yeah, I think think you found your point guard, a guy that can really run the offense. He had, what do you have, like probably four assists or something Hopefully against like Kentucky, yeah. something like that. You know, he, he's comfortable running the offense. Obviously, he can score. He can shoot from the outside. And then you kind of saw the rest of it start to come together against AM. Not that Kuznar was bad against 
Kentucky defensively because I thought he was good in that game too. But you know, it's it's a couple of good it's consistent def- defensive Hagen's. performances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's Ashton Hagens, um, who what did he shoot two of ten? Yeah, in, in that game, so it was, it was outstanding, and to do it consistently now because you're right, that has been a problem for Carolina. The, the defense at the point of the attack, he's he's really rounding into a to a complete point guard in the SEC. And I, I mean, I I know what you're saying, and I agree with you. The Thornwell comparison is a little bit dangerous because you can't say he's going to be the best player of a generation here yeah. at South Carolina, but if he's scoring 20 points a game as a freshman in SEC play against yeah. Kentucky on the road against A&M, who's not a great team but at least good defensively, uh, I don't want to put a put a ceiling on his uh, on His, his skill set matches up very, very nicely to Cinderius Thornwell. So I'll leave it at that. The other thing, and we talked about this last week, so um, I was playing tennis, so I didn't even watch the game live. I just I just record it and watch it later, um, which is bad because I should be tweeting during the game because you know got to like cultivate that social media, whatever. But anyway, I was playing clout. tennis Saturday. Yeah, yeah. clout. Because you, I mean, you're you're a great uh, live tweeter. Oh, by the way, this might be pulling the curtain back too much, and in which case, don't answer, and we'll just leave the masses uh, desperately wondering. Do you know and can you say who runs the Gamecock Central Game Day updates? Yeah, account? that's Chris Wellbaum. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, Chris right. That's not a secret? No, that's not okay, a secret. Cool. I yeah. love that account. <laughs> oh, he does a great job. Yeah, it's fantastic. Because there, there are things in there that sound like you. Um, and so what, I just, dry and sarcastic as hell? Yeah, 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 exactly. So I wondered if you were doing that, but I was like, you tweet a lot during the game anyway, so that's a lot of like switching back and forth. No, there's so much. I mean, when you think about having a live tweet from your own account and the game day and the run our live thread and right. write your instant now, I mean, it's it's too yeah. much. So I figured well, that would be too much, but it, yeah. there, there was enough in there that I had to ask. Oh, no, okay, cool. Yeah. Shout out, Chris. Um, but anyway, so I didn't, I had even, I even missed the Moss and Hannibal not playing in the game. So I go back and, and I, I was looking at the box for like a halftime or whatever. And I was like, oh wow, they're, they're not even playing. This is weird. And you and I said last week that this could very well be a matchup where there are fewer minutes for Moss and Hannibal just because of the matchups, because right. Texas a is going to play slower because they're going to be a little bigger, a little more physical. It's going to be more of a defensive game. You could see more of those bench minutes going to McCreary, going to Levesque, going to Frank, just sort of by necessity. But not only, not only is that not how the game played out, but it's like South Carolina was down the guards in a matchup where it seemed like they probably could and should and might need to play big more. But you get, what is that, uh, 30, 49 of your 81 points from your backcourt. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, again, we talked about Cousinard's performance of 17, Bolden, whom you and I both expected to see coming back off the bench after getting a DMPCD against Kentucky. Certainly didn't expect him to come back and have 19, although, I mean, it's seriously just like spin the wheel and see what you get with, yeah, with Jerry Bolden. Yeah. Um, and then Lawson, again, only played 16 minutes, but 13 points in 16 minutes is nice. Efficient in his shooting, four of seven. Wasn't like super involved in the game. And again, not able to get into a rhythm because he was in foul trouble. A couple of his shots, including two of his threes, were late. In fact, all of his field goal attempts and all of his field goal makes subsequently were threes. Four of seven from the field, four of seven from three. A couple of those were late. I don't want to say they were inconsequential, but they were more like you know, ice it, a little bit of insurance, kind of put the game out of reach. Yeah, give you some breathing room. Right. But, but when he was in there, you know, it's it's still not great. He's still not the A.J. that we expected to see, not the A.J. that this team needs if they want to reach the heights that they're trying to reach. But I don't know. I, I still feel like he's engaged. I, he fouled too much. He only played 16 minutes. But the rebounding, the defense, that effort seems better than it was in that first stretch of SEC play in that Stetson game. Yeah, I mean, he looked. Loss is not the right word for A.J., but he just looked disengaged, and Frank's. I mean, Frank said it a lot that this team, especially these young guys, are tied too much into their ball. The ball going to the basket for him. So when AJ went through that shooting slump that he had against Stetson, against their um, whoever they played those first two games, Florida and Tennessee, then you started to see that kind of compound a little bit and snowball, which translated to him playing not as well defensively. Uh, I think you saw. He had a few bad fouls, but Frank talked in his Monday press conference about how he's really liked what he's seen from AJ just in terms of his mentality. And I think what gets lost, and I kind of agree with Frank on this, you see he had Has- he had Asani last year who was sixth man of the year. He had Trey Campbell who didn't light the world on fire but was serviceable. And he had Chris Silva behind him. So he kind of had what Frank Martin called cover, and I tend to agree. And now this year you expect him to take that jump into being Hassani Gravin on the defensive end and back to being A.J. Lawson on the offensive end. And that's hard to handle expectation-wise because that's a lot to lump on a guy who's 19 years old. I mean, if you had told me to do that at 19, I don't think I could have done it. So, I mean, hell, I probably can't do it at 24. So 
he's handling a lot. And yes, it's up to him. He's a Division One basketball. He's on scholarship. Handle it. But sometimes guys have to grow into those roles, and I think you're seeing that with AJ Lawson and A and M. He didn't play well. Um, he played okay. Uh, Again, the energy was yeah, fine. The, the energy was fine. Seemed better. Yeah, he, but you're still worried that no assists, three turnovers. That's yeah. been a big problem for him this year. He's got to turn that around. But he feels closer to getting back to what he was at the beginning of this year yeah. when he was actually playing pretty well, or even the end of last year, he looks closer to that than he did against Stetson, yeah, Florida, oh, and Tennessee. Absolutely. You, you're starting to see signs of it being back to the old AJ. And if Jermaine's going to go off for 17 a night, you really don't need AJ to go off for 25-30. You can be co- content with him getting, you know, 15 to 20 a night and, you know, playing good defense and rebounding the ball and, and kind of facilitating from that wing spot. So... You're starting to see a little bit of the old AJ coming out with the emergence of, I mean, I don't think it could be understated how much Jermaine Kuznar running this offense certainly helps this team because you're seeing better minutes from Minaya, you're seeing better minutes from Bolden, you're seeing a lot of different guys step up their game because you have a guy that's able to facilitate a little bit more than what they were getting in, in the past with their point guard play. I think, obviously, what's keeping Carolina afloat, what we saw on display against Kentucky, and then I think what was similarly on display, although maybe even in a little bit different way against Texas A&M, is the depth. Yep. We talked about it at the beginning of the season. That's sort of been the difference. In those first couple games, when A.J. first started to really slump, I mean, I think I think he, his, his play was inconsistent pretty much all season. He had his bright spots, but he was still like averaging 15, 16 a game, whatever it was. And then it was after the Virginia game, as we mentioned, that three-game stretch of the slump really started. He's still in it. But the rest of the team looked lost because even when he was playing inconsistently, it was still his team. The offense was still running through him. He was still going to you know, shoot 15, 16 times a night, whatever it was. And with him not doing that, with him not attacking, not having that same mentality and certainly not making shots, the rest of the team looked lost. lost. In his absence, I mean quote-unquote absence, all the role players have now had to elevate, just sort of by necessity. Um, Jair Bolden, who who looks kind of back, you know, he's he's playing his role. Jalen McCreary, who's finally back into the fold again after being benched for a long time, looks really good. He continues to bring good energy off the bench. He's playing 8 to 12 minutes a game. He's uh, he, I think he gets like 6-2 and two or 6-4 and four every game now. He, yeah. He's always going to get his 6 points in, in whatever way, and he's, he's going to be, even if he's not grabbing 6 rebounds while he's out there, he's at least going to Make it tough for the other team to rebound, which I think was an interesting storyline in this Texas A&M game as well. Um, you know, Levesque has been has fallen off a little bit, but yeah, Frank is out there doing his thing. Uh, his offensive efficiency, I think, has tailed off a little bit after the hot start to the season, only two points, but continues to work on the glass. He had three offensive rebounds against Texas A&M, and I think even though he keeps getting into foul trouble and he fouls too much still, I think Frank has still gotten better defensively this year. He just seems like he knows where to be more, and then his mistakes are just like. I can't move my feet quickly enough or, you know, still an occasional bad decision here or there, but he seems to have a better understanding of, like, I guess the positional defense that Frank Martin is requiring of him. So you're getting better minutes from all these guys. Obviously, we talked a lot about Kusnard, and then, of course, the emergence of Justin Minaya over the course of the last two games, or reemergence, I think, is maybe even the biggest story because you have the role players elevating, but you're still missing that one crucial piece. What's that crucial piece when your star is not rolling, but your role players are elevating their play? It's the glue guy. And Justin Minaya is Ultimate. just, he is making Ultimate everyone on this team better. Yeah, and I mean, this is kind of the Minaya you hope to see at the beginning of the year. And he showed you that a little bit to start the year, and now he's kind of, he kind of tailed off. And I mean, look at the stat line. Six of 11 shooting, uh, four of eight from three, eight rebounds, five assists, played all 40 minutes with two blocks, one turnover, one steal, plus 14 for the day. That is like, the epitome of what Frank Martin wants from his guys. And Justin's so talented and so energetic that you need something like that on the floor. And if he's not giving you points, if he's not giving you rebounds, it's hard to get there. This is, I mean, this is ultimate glue guy territory. Like, if we were making a Mount Rushmore glue guys at South Carolina, like, it's like Justin Manaya is like first second and third yes yeah, so he, he's the head on the far left yeah no he's like he, he's george washington in this in this <laughs> is, Le- is washington on the left i have no idea i don't know yeah I, whatever I mean, I it is he's george well he's the george washington yeah. of blue guys I, ho- I hope washington's um, on the left yeah because you know we read right to left so i just figure the leftmost port uh oh, left to right this. so i'm figuring the leftmost head is the most important 
I don't know yep, if you know that. Yep, far left. He is? Okay, yeah, great. It's, looks like George Washington. Is Jefferson the other one? Maybe. On I, I don't know. <laughs> and then that Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right to me. I've never been. Never I've been seen either. pictures of it. I've seen North by Northwest. That's yeah. like my frame of reference for <laughs> Mount Rushmore. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is he's probably the leftmost head in this. And it's, yeah. again, to me, more than anything else, it's like, what does the glue guy do? The glue guy is all about... The glue guy is about raising your ceiling and raising your floor. You just you elevate everyone on your team. And for Manaya, great statistical game. Probably his. I know he had a seventeen and eleven to start the season. This is his best statistical game because you're doing it on the road in a very important game against 18, a better team. Eight five, yeah, against a better team. Uh, steal two blocks, and then the other things that you don't even necessarily see that don't show up in the stat sheet are just him getting in the way. The, there are a lot of guys on this team that, that do this, but it seems like it's Manaya maybe more than anybody else. Just clogging passing lanes, even if it's like a kickball, getting an arm, getting a leg, just disrupting the rhythm of the offense. He does it so, so well. And, of course, his versatility across the defense, which is just so valuable. He, This game belonged to him. I know Kuznard had 17. I know Bolden was the leading scorer with 19 off the bench, shot 7 12, 5 of 7 from 3. To me, this, like this, from that from halftime against Kentucky through the end of this Texas A&M game, has been, this has been Justin Minaya's team. Yeah, and I think that, what people, what the stat sheet doesn't really take into consideration is when these shots fell. Uh, there were a few times where A&M cut it to one, cut it to two, cut it to three, and then Mania would come down and drill a three, and you're back up to six or five. or whatever. It's back to a two-possession game, and you want that from the guy that's been in your program for three years. He's the only guy outside of Kosar who's been in that program for at least three years. So... You need, yeah, wow, that's amazing. I didn't really think about that. <laughs> is the only guy that's been there for three years outside of my coats are. Um, yeah, second year Bryant, second year Lawson, second year Kuznar, first year that he could play. Uh, Nathan Nelson, first second year? year? Second year? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Frank, second year. Levesque, first year. McCreary, first year. Anderson, first year. Bolden, second year? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Uh, and then Moss, second year. Moss, Hannibal, second first year. year. Hannibal, first year. Um Okay, Henry, first year. Yep. So he's a guy that knows we. Th- this is what you expect from him at this point. And if he's giving you this and on a night in a night out basis, not necessarily 18 points and eight rebounds, but if he can give you 12 points and nine rebounds, something along those lines equivalently. In, in the efficiency, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. If I mean, he shoots insane. two of four from three every game for the rest of the season, that's great for Carolina. Yeah, they need that because it spaces the floor a little bit. Um opens up the paint for guys like AJ, for guys like Jermaine who like to get to the rim. And then obviously you could draw some more stuff up for Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Mania yeah. to, to take eight, and some of them, like they, they didn't seem like they were looks that were drawn up for him. There was one where he was, you know, a step or two behind the line. He just, I mean, so I, don't remember, I don't remember who it was. Somebody screened for him. Dude died on the screen. He was like, I'm pulling up from here. Like yeah. that confidence, the willingness to let it fly. We haven't seen that this year. I mean, really, even until this A&M game, He's feeling his stroke a little bit more. He's hitting him at a good clip. And if that's going to be the case, I mean, that that really bodes well. I don't think you you or I isolated this exactly when Carolina was slumping and as they've tried to find their rhythm. I, I, other than maybe just mentioning, oh, yeah, Manai's got to play better. But when he has one of these games and when Carolina wins a game that, again, they should have won, but they could have lost. They could have very easily game lost this game. was very much in the balance in the second half. Yeah, yeah, and given all the things that were working against them, those are the moments that you realize just how much of an impact a guy like that can have and does have when he's playing well. Yeah, and I think that he's he's a guy that's never going to go down as an all-time great, I don't think. And that's no disrespect to Justin Minaya. That's I don't think that's his game. But he's a guy that you look back on some of the best teams and, you know, you, these. why was this team so successful X year? You look back and you go, well, you know, you know, Kusnard had this and Bolden had that or whoever. And then you realize Justin and I averaged 11 and seven for a year. And you're like, oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. And and that's because his game is just so, I mean, it's simple. Hit threes, rebound, and play good defense. And if you do that, then everybody else kind of you know succeeds around you. And um, you're starting to see that a little bit. We talked about Carolina getting – a lot of help rebounding from a lot of different places against Kentucky, not helping them win the glass by whatever it was, 11 or something like that, and then to win the offensive glass by 10. It was another really good all-around rebounding performance from South Carolina. They out-rebounded Texas A&M 
uh, by 11, including five on the offensive glass. And again, it's a good distribution, which is what you need to have. Well, I, what I'm about to say is kind of ironic, considering Mike Kosar did have a good rebounding game against Texas A&M. But because you don't have that one guy, you don't have you know your your Josh Nebo or you know your Wiley or your Blackshear or your guy that's just going to go and gobble up all the rebounds. You got to get it from everywhere. So in this game, you're getting ten from Kosar, you're getting eight from Anaya, you get another four from Lawson, you get a couple from Kushnard, you get four from Frank, you get two from McCreary, you get four from Bolden. It was just another really really good all-around rebounding performance and that it's coming from everywhere makes up for not having that that one guy, even though Mike Kozar decided to also be that guy in this game. Yeah, and Frank said it at the beginning of the year, he thinks this team could be a really, really good offensive rebounding team, and you're starting to see that a little bit. Um, I mean, heck, Manai had four offensive, or no. Kozar had Kozar four, four Manaya two. Uh, Frank had three. Mm-hmm. McCreary had one. And yeah, I mean... One. This is the kind of rebounding team I think Frank Martin thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. And he spent a lot of time in the preseason talking about how good a rebounders, A.J. Lawson, Keyshawn Bryant, those the non, what you would think is typical rebounders, how good those guys are at rebounding. And you're starting to see that. And now moving Manaya to the four, you're starting to see just how good of a rebounder he is. And it's, I mean, it's helping this team. How many second chance points do they have? 12 uh, against A&M? That's good, and and that's what you need because you're not going to shoot 48% every night, and you're not going to hit 16 threes every night. So you're going to need guys that can go crash the glass and put second-chance points up and then rebound when because their defense has actually been really good lately, uh, rebound and limit those on the other end of the court. And against Kentucky and maybe on Wednesday against Auburn, like you said, you can't count on shooting 48% from the field, you definitely can't count on shooting 53% from three and tying a school record in threes made. So you give yourself extra possessions. In the case of Kentucky, it required exactly 19. Yep. No fewer than 19 was the difference in that game. And then for South Carolina, how many more shots in Texas? And they take um, 14, 29 of 60 compared to 18 of 44 against Texas A&M. Even if you're not a great shooting team, even if you're not a good offensive team, half court team, whatever, you just give yourself that many more opportunities than the other team. And they're good shots. Yeah. They were, I mean, watching the game, I was, I never really sat back and thought for stretches of times, man, they're just not getting good shots. They've gotten good shots pretty much all year, and they've either gone in or they haven't. And when they've gone in, they've won. I know it's as simple as that, but they've gotten good shots uh, for the majority of of this season, and they've started to knock them down recently. Real quick on Kotsar, I mentioned the 10 rebounds, six points, seven assists, three steals. Just, Awesome defensively. A couple things stood out. First of all, he dunked. Second dunk of the season, probably. Oh no, he's had way more than that. Really? Yeah, I can I only he's remember had like one, three or four, maybe even five. Okay, is that more than he's had in the rest of his career combined? Yeah, okay. I would be very confident. Right. Thinking but in, in this one was like so it was dramatic and emphatic. He caught the ball like above the elbow and just like took it to his left and crammed it. Those like drives that he does are like. They're wild because you have no idea what the hell to expect. <laughs> it can be and, anything. I mean, it's like, okay, Mike's can either, like, there was one against Florida where he pulled up and tried to hit this weird floater. Oh, yeah. And there are times where he dunks. That was one that he should have flushed. Yeah, and there are times where he's, like, he kicks or whatever. And whatever it is, it's going to be entertaining. And more often than not, he's going to score because Mike's just weirdly consistent this year, and I was not expecting that at the beginning of the yeah, season. Yeah, so, so things we didn't expect to be talking about on January 21st of 2020 Mike Coates are dunking. Uh, close, no, to, close to double digits, too. In double terms digit of double dunks? digit dunks. Really? Like, let's Is think it about that many? That. I would assume. Okay. I, mean, yeah. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I, I can only remember, like, I, I guess I can remember two off the top of my head. So I thought this would have been his third, but it's not a lot, but it's exciting. It's uh, enough to <laughs> a conversation piece about it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So we're talking about another thing that he did in this game that I would not necessarily have been expecting that we'd be talking about on January 21st, 2020. Uh, Mike Coates are. We we did this before, I think it was the Florida yeah it was the Florida game when he started out he had like what did he have fifteen five and five at halftime or something like that, we're we are officially hereby Colin Taylor and I are putting Mike Kotsar on triple double watch it feels like he's got one in him this year, ooh, don't you think? I feel like that. I mean six ten and seven obviously the three assists is like I mean that's a lot but yeah. two more made baskets he was three of eleven, it's I mean scoring I ten that. for him is not yeah. a not a big deal this year. I mean, more than anybody else. I, I would have thought it was AJ just because, as you mentioned, he is a good rebounder for his position. So if AJ had like a 10-10-10 game, I wouldn't be blown away, but he's not playing well enough that I'm going to put right. him on triple-double watch. But, I mean, Coats are, 
Coatsars had the first half of the Florida game, and then I guess really the entirety of this Texas A&M game, the way that he can like rack up stats in a hurry. Quietly. You, you think you think he's hmm, he, he's probably not close enough on blocks. Seven assists, I don't know if that's a career high for him, but that's that's outstanding. If he gets to 10, it would be amazing and impressive. Do you think he's more likely to, to get a triple-double before the end of the year or a 5-by-5? Five five? A triple-double. Triple-double? Yeah. All right. So we're, we're putting Mike Coates on triple-double watch. Mike, uh, I saw you in Publix one time. Don't let me down. That's yeah. the extent of our relationship. I talked to him about Estonia once. Yeah? Yeah. That's cool. What does he What does he like about it? Does he miss it? We were talking about it was right after Christmas, hmm. before the Stetson game, about like him going home. He did not go home, for huh. those wondering. Uh, that was a 30-hour flight, and he did not feel... 30. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, it's like all the way up there. Yeah. Near Russia. Literally around the world, yeah. So he went to uh, Florida with, I believe he said his girlfriend. Wow, yeah. Florida sounds a lot warmer than Estonia around in, that time. In December, year. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, good choice, Mike Coates are. Uh, another good choice, get a triple-double. Last thing, low-key, very important storyline to this game. I mentioned South Carolina won the rebounding battle by a significant margin. Josh Nebo. Who is one of the better rebounders in the SEC statistically? Who's averaging what nine rebounds a game coming into this? Two, yeah, two rebounds, two rebounds for Josh Nebo, and Mike Coatsar deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, it's been weird. This not weird because I kind of expected it because Mike's so good defensively. They've shut down good big men. Josh Nebo, Kerry Blackshear, We've got uh, another good one coming up Mama tomorrow. Diakite, yep. I mean. They have shut down those guys, and we'll talk about Wiley probably a lot, uh, you know, preview in Auburn, but Mike Kotsar has been silently one of the best defensive big men. He's making his case for all SEC defensive team. He is. I mean, 100% because Nebo, I mean, if you're filling out a top five big men in the SEC list, Nebo's going to be on it, Blackshear's going to be on it, um, Wiley's going to be on it, and then you probably put Kotsar, like, up there. And because he has been so good, and it's amazing. And uh, Fulkerson had a big day against him, but that's just Fulkerson. But they kind of contained Nick Richards. They got him in foul trouble early, and you know, give Mike a lot of credit for that. Awesome defensively, and like you said, he's going to have another stiff test on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to talk about in that Auburn game just a second. Uh, Jair Bolden, we mentioned DMPCD against Kentucky, comes back 19 points, looks invigorated. It's funny. I had someone calling on my local show yesterday on 107.5 The Game and say you're basically just talk about Frank Martin you know benching these guys and how much good it does them because they keep being benched and coming back and, and responding really well we saw that happen with Jerry Bolden we saw what happened with Frank he got bent uh, let's see he got a DMP it was either Florida or Tennessee I think it was Tennessee and then came back and played pretty well against Kentucky played pretty well against Texas A&M, again, not huge counting stats, but just like a, a new kind of energy and has been crushing the offensive glass lately. We saw it with McCreary, who obviously got long, long time on the bench. Yes. Four, five, six games, whatever it was. Four, five games, yeah. It was, Virgi- it was Clemson, Virginia, Stetson, Florida, and then I don't remember if he came back against – I think he came back he against Tennessee. didn't play in four or three straight games. Clemson, Virginia, Stetson. Clemson, Virginia. Okay, and then came back. And then played 10, 8, 12, and 13. 10, 12, and 13. Yeah, so, you know, benefited from that time on the bench. We've also seen it go the other way, though, which is sort of my counterpoint at the time. He did bench A.J. Lawson down the stretch in that Stetson game, and, and it's kind of a – you know, obviously you can't bench A.J. for a whole game like you can Jair, like you can Frank. He's just too central to what you do even when he's not playing that well. Um, but for some, for some guys it works. For some guys it doesn't. It looks like it worked for Bolden. Should we reserve our excitement, though, given that he had 22 against Virginia and then just went for the next four games? I mean, I think you should always reserve excitement for this team because you just, until they show you consistency, anticipate them being inconsistent. Um, do I think you should expect 19 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 5 of 7 from 3 from him every night? No. But... If he can get to the point where he's averaging 10 a game coming off the bench, that's huge for you. And if he knocks down two or three three-pointers in a game and goes off for 15 or 17 in one night, even better. So you want I – mean, I think taking a step back and sitting for the entirety of the Kentucky game kind of helped him reset a little bit, take a deep breath, realize, hey, the stuff I'm doing in practice isn't good enough. I think that helped him because he was much more aggressive, and you start to, you start to sell the Jair Bolden of old. Um, so yeah, I think that 
you can I don't know if I'd expect nineteen points, but yeah, you can expect ten to twelve, then that's probably fair from Jair. Yeah, and, and for Jair, it wasn't even about necessarily the shot making. Like seven and twelve is great, five and seven is great. If he's gonna come off the bench, I mean you need him to be an efficient scorer because he's not gonna get the minutes to necessarily be a volume scorer. But it was the mentality, you know. We've seen him make shots. And we talked, you know, even earlier in the season when it was still a little bit up and down, but mostly good. You know, we would talk about how easy he makes it look, how how natural of a shot maker he is, even if he's not great at creating his own shot. Once he gets that sliver of space, you feel like he can really knock it down. And he was taking those. He was taking those against Texas A&M. It's exactly like Justin Minaya. Just seeing uh, the confidence and a little bit more of an edge in his offensive game was tremendous. Uh, almost as important to me as those 19 points is the six assists that he got because that was the other big kind of foible when he was trying to man the point, almost fit in a square peg in a round hole. He's just he's just not a guy that you need to run your offense through, but he just showed... It's like Frank Martin took that responsibility off of him. He was allowed to sort of play his own game, play his own speed, and just maybe maybe he looked a little freer to me, and just free to play basketball, and then you see that he does have that feel for the game. It's like he was thinking too much when he's having to facilitate, but when he has the option, he's very capable of doing it. So I, I don't know if, if I told you that... Let's not say 19 a game, but let's say... Jair Bolden can average 14 points a game off the bench or five assists a game off the bench for the rest of the season. Which one of those would you choose? Probably five assists. You have enough scores right now, but if he can give you five assists and kind of facilitate AJ or Jair or you know Jermaine or somebody like that, or hell, feed the post to Alonzo or Mike or whoever, then you feel good about what you're getting out of that guy. Um, and with because even if he's not going to average 14, he's probably going to give you seven or eight mm-hmm. off the bench. And if you're getting five assists along with that, that's good for you. 22 assists on 29 made baskets for South Carolina. That's as good as yeah, I mean, as good as you can do it. Yeah, and as well as you can do it. And they've struggled at times assisting. Uh, a lot of times it's been what I, I mean, what I call hero ball, where it's one guy trying to do a little bit of you know do everything and not. AJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even Jermaine sometimes. He's a yeah. good playmaker, but he does get tunnel vision sometimes. There was one possession against Tennessee where Jair literally caught the inbound pass and didn't didn't pass after that and was just dribbling around and took a bad shot after that. And, I mean, Frank immediately pulled him, obviously. Yeah, he stayed up late watching the Rockets the night before. Yeah, and, like, it's one of those things where if you can pass the ball and shocker when you get good ball movement, the defense tends to open up. And you saw that against Texas A&M and a little bit against Kentucky. When you've seen it with this team, whenever they're allowed to play with pace, whenever they're allowed to play in the open floor, this is a lot of good basketball players, a lot of guys that have a really good feel for the game and can make those passes. I mean, how many guys have we seen dish highlight-worthy dimes this year? It's not like, I mean, look, Florida's a good basketball team, but everything runs through Andrew Nimhard, and if everything's not running through Andrew Nimhard, or maybe Kerry Blackshear, but in sort of a different way, it's a little more stagnant. There are a lot of teams that are like that. If it's, if Anthony Edwards doesn't have the ball for Georgia, what does that offense look like? Garbage. Yeah, and that's why they've not only won good. one SEC game this year. But for Carolina, it, it was frustrating because you needed to find that guy, and they found it in Kusnard. But they have a bunch of guys that can make plays. We've seen it from Jerry Bolton. We saw it against Texas A&M. We've seen it other times throughout the year. We know AJ can be someone that can run the offense when his, when his shot's falling a little more, when he's playing with more confidence, more aggression, because he did it last year. He was the centerpiece of the offense last year. I mean, Chris Silva was kind of allowed to be the 1B, and I think that was... You know why the team finished the season as as strong as they did. Keyshawn Bryant, as good as you can find attacking the basket, obviously needs to work on his shot. But he dished a couple of times in that Kentucky game that are like gorgeous. You know the the gif of the, you know taking your sunglasses off and leaning all the way back in your chair. So they have a lot of guys that can do it. Even uh, Jalen McCreary had a nice assist where he was getting doubled on the block and was able to turn around and find Mike Coates under the basket. That was gorgeous. I yeah, it, it, was, it was great. So you got a lot of guys that are natural basketball players that have a good feel for the game, and I, I think you see. All of that gets unlocked when you have a Cousinard or, you know, Jair with the ball in his hands in like a freer spirit, just kind of facilitating. It's not motion basketball. This isn't Rick Carlisle, but it just looks a lot freer in these last two games than it did really at any other point in the season so far. I think we obviously look at point guards and say they should run the offense and, you know, they need to make good decisions with the basketball. But I don't think the average basketball fan or a fan that just turns on a game on a Tuesday night realizes how important timing is mm. in an offense. And when you're half a, you know, half a second off in terms of when that pass is supposed to be there, it throws everything off because then the guy that was supposed to make the cut is making it half a second too soon. And 
you saw a little bit of that where the timing just wasn't right with South Carolina. But now Jermaine, who knows what Frank wants, he's timing these passes correctly. And you're seeing the efficiency numbers go up because of it, because guys are in the right spot at the right time. And South Carolina put it together its best offensive efficiency of the year against Texas A&M, averaging 120 points per 100 possessions. The best in the country right now is, I'm looking it up now. On like a uh, per-game basis? Yeah, adjusted offensive efficiency. The best team in the country right now is Gonzaga at 117.9. Their raw efficiency is 120, but their adjusted offensive efficiency is three points fewer than what South Carolina averaged per 100 possessions against Texas A&M. Yeah, so, so Carolina played as good or better as the best offensive team in the country against a good defensive team in Texas yeah, A&M top, on top the Top 60 defensive efficiency. Without team. your two backup guards. Yeah, and Keyshawn and, Bryant and Keyshawn for Bryant. 35 minutes of the game. Yeah, wow. 37 minutes. All right, so I think the only conclusion we can draw is that Keyshawn Bryant, Trey Hannibal, and TJ Moss should never play again. Yeah, if we're, <laughs> I'm not I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. A little so, stitious. Yeah, so yeah, you got to keep them out now. 16 three-pointers helps. Carolina's not going to get that again for the rest of the year. But you and I had talked. That this team, uh, every team in basketball, it doesn't matter if you're a great three-point shooting team or a terrible three-point shooting team, everyone has that game that night yeah. for South Carolina it was just a matter of when it was going to happen did you need that to beat Virginia no that's fortunate did you need it to beat Kentucky no that's fortunate did you need it to beat Texas A&M well kind of I mean they yeah. could have gotten away with I mean you, you look at the score you say they could have gotten away with with 10 of 30 but this was that shooting explosion that they were always going to have um, the one thing about it that I, I guess is kind of nice is you, you get it from four different players all shot well but it wasn't like one guy hit seven threes you know you get three from Jermaine four from AJ four from Justin uh, the five from Bolden, you don't necessarily expect to be replicated again. And again, I don't. Carolina's not going to make probably 16 threes no. again this season. They're not all of a sudden going to become a great three-point shooting team. But you have the potential when these guys are making. When shots. you get hot, when you you know you can probably they can compete with really anybody if they get hot. One of the interesting things I was looking at the uh, stats. Um, three-point shooting. Carolina is 285th in the country. Do you know who's 284th in the country in three-point percentage? Auburn. Auburn. Hey, yeah. that's what we call a segue right there. A, a team that shoots a ton of threes. Is there anything else you want to say on AM as we close that game out? No. Probably great three-point shooting, great rebounding. Good job winning in the face of adversity. Yeah. Now you go to Auburn, who shoots an ass ton of threes. Yeah. The second most in the SEC behind only Alabama. They shoot almost 26 threes a game and, strangely, make just below 31% of them. 30.9. That's exactly the same percentage as South Carolina, so I don't know what the tiebreaker is necessarily if it's the same that, percentage, like, but hundredth and thousandth decimal point yeah, there. I guess yeah. so. Well, they have a much bigger sample size than South Carolina, but this is a really interesting Auburn team. They started fifteen and zero. They started three and zero in SEC play. They got all the way up to what were they five or six in the country? They topped out at maybe fourth. Four people, number yeah. four in the country. So this is an Auburn team that had a lot of momentum, but they've lost their last two SEC games, and then as you start to Go back and say, okay, well, you've you've lost two SEC games. What's the common thread there? You look for some signs. You, you look at who they're playing. Um, they obviously good teams. Got, yeah, I mean, good teams. They beat got beat by Alabama. They got absolutely punted into the sun by Florida. They didn't even score fifty points in that. They game. got punted into the sun in both games. They yeah. lost Alabama eighty three to sixty four. Mm. Mm. I think they're they've lost their last two games by an average of twenty and a half points. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. Oh. And there's something really ugly about seeing a forty seven on the scoreboard. It's like. Yeah. You're a team that's taking 26 threes a game. Somewhere Tony Bennett's smiling. Right, like, yeah, <laughs> Like exactly. a 69 to 47 game. Seriously. Oh, it, but it was ugly. And so then you go back and you look at the rest of Auburn's schedule, and it's like, yeah, they started 15-0, and 0, but I I don't know. I don't have the net ranking or Kim Palm or anything right in front of me. I think you have all that stuff. Yeah. What's the best win that Auburn had entering SEC play? So based solely off of Ken Palm numbers, um, number 43, NC State. That's their best win at home. They they're still forty, or they were forty at the time. They're forty third right now. Um, I'll look and see when they what they were when they beat them. They were thirty sixth when they beat them. Uh, NC State is not that good of a team. They're good, not great. Just beat Virginia though. There's a distinct possibility that Auburn went through non con play, not beating a tournament team. And you could argue NC State, and obviously one of these teams gets hot and win the conference tournaments. They could, but you ended 
non-con play with one, two, three, four, four wins over top 100 teams with the highest being the 43rd mm-hmm. best team. Not great. And then you go out and you beat Mississippi State, who obviously up and down. Yeah, they're fine. Um, yeah. You beat Vanderbilt, who's not good. Not good. And then you, you beat Georgia. Beat Georgia, who's, I have no idea what the hell is going on I don't on know what Georgia. to make of them. Yeah. They, have one, they only have one win in conference, but they've lost to Auburn. They lost to Kentucky. They lost. Did they play LSU this weekend? I think. Tennessee. They beat Tennessee. They beat Tennessee. Uh, like maybe their other was there, was there Mississippi other? State. They got oh boat yeah, race that's right, that's State, right, ninety-one to fifty-nine. So one conference win, and it's like you, you can't really hold it against them when you lose to those teams, other than Mississippi State, especially when you lose uh, like they lost. But I don't know what exactly to make of this Georgia team. But I mean, that's that's their win. Those it's are like the that three NC wins. State. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mississippi State's their best win right now at 42, but talking non-con, and they just, it's like their offense hit an absolute wall once SEC play started. Um, They've put up numbers, 80 points, 83 points, 82 points, 83 points, 69 points, but they just haven't, they, they haven't shot the ball well. They're playing really fast. They're getting opportunities, which contributes to their high score, but I don't know. In just, what, five SEC games are eighth in offensive efficiency, seventh in defensive efficiency, so strictly middle of the road, fourth in tempo, 12th in effective field goal percentage, third in turnover rate, which is good. They don't really turn the ball over. Fifth in offensive rebounding, um, next to last in three-point percentage, ninth in two-point percentage, 12th in free throw percentage. They're getting their shots blocked at at a 14.1% rate. I mean, it's just, which is 11th. which you wouldn't expect it to be that high because they're taking so many perimeter shots. Yeah, but they're just every time they go inside, it's like they're getting blocked. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just one of those things where they're okay defensively. Um, they have really good defensive efficiency numbers on the season because they've played Cal State Northridge and New Mexico and Colgate and all these. You know. And they have a good block percentage. Yeah, um, that's that's like the only way they can keep you from scoring. Yeah, Wiley's. They're, yeah, they're they're number one insane. in the SEC in blocks. They're averaging right at yeah. six a game. Um, but it's just one of those things where they hit a wall when they had to start playing better competition. And um, South Carolina needs to kind of take advantage of that because Auburn's still trying to kind of find itself in SEC play. So I was looking to see if there was a direct correlation. Obviously, we mentioned that Auburn takes a ton of threes. They don't necessarily make a lot of threes. And I was wondering, in their three SEC wins, did they hit a bunch of threes? And in those two losses, did the well just dry up? And the answer is not really. So in their two losses, they shot four of 23 from three against, um, let's see, they just lost to Florida. Who'd they play two games ago? Alabama. That was when they lost Alabama. They shot four of 23 from three against Alabama. They shot seven of 28 from three against, who'd they just play this week? Florida. Florida. I, I should have written yeah. this down. I have the numbers written down. I don't have the games next to them because I'm an idiot and I don't know how to prepare. Um, in their wins, nine of 24 in their first win in the SEC play, which is good, and then 5 of 20 and 5 of 22 in their other wins. So it's not even like they're shooting the lights out in those wins, which is a, a good news for Carolina because it, it's it's not like even that much of a direct correlation. You know they're just going to take a lot of them, and obviously if they just fill it up, if they have you know one of these uh, 13 of 28 kinds of games, there's not much you're going to be able to do, and this team is liable to fill it up at any given time. And it's it, I don't know if I, I don't know if this is exactly how balance works or regression of the mean or progression of the mean averages, things like that, but just... Like spending most of my life being a sports fan, you look at something like that and you're like, oh, geez. It's like they're really due an unbelievable shooting performance here. And you just hope that it's, you know, for South Carolina's sake, you hope that it's not against the Gamecocks when, when they finally start to fall. But that hasn't really necessarily been the case at all this season. Like they've had a couple of outlier performances, but mostly it's a lot of volume, not a lot of efficiency. The one thing that you worry about there, and I think you have the numbers right in front of me, so you'll have to let me know what their offensive rebounding percentage is or their offensive rebounding rate because a lot of times – a lot of threes can lead to a lot of long offensive rebounds. Really good. Their Is offensive it? rebound yeah, rate. That's probably really, why. really good. Top 25 in the country. Uh, and they get to the line a lot. Um, Fortunately, they're, they're not a great free-throw shooting team. I think the only team in the in the conference that's worse than Auburn at free-throw shooting is Carolina. Yeah, and I mean, it's just one of those things where they just get to the line, and if you take, I think I've said on this podcast, 60% of five free-throws versus 60% of 35 free-throws, you know, you're going to get some points out of that. So you, they get to the line. They're very much like a Frank Morton-esque team mm-hmm. um, where you just swap the three-pointers for two-pointers with Frank because he likes to get into the paint. Right. Take a bunch of shots, play good defense, get to the line. Those are your options, and, you know, you live and die with that. 
not to invoke the Houston Rockets for the second time in this podcast, but threes and free throws. That's the James Harden model. That's what got Auburn all the way to the Final Four last year. It's it it's works tremendous. It works. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason. Look, I mean, even though we can we can sort of nitpick, Auburn's still a top twenty team. I think they're like sixteen in the country right now. So they're a top twenty team right now. ESPN's BPI says that they have a ninety percent chance to win this game against South Carolina. They're going to be a significant favorite. Having to do it on the road is really tough. So despite all these foibles, despite all these offensive shortcomings in terms of efficiency, not shooting the three well, not even shooting your free throws all that well, this is still a really good team. There's a ton of talent. We've mentioned Wiley a couple times. He's one of the best big men in the conference. He's averaging like 11 and 10. Yeah. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. He's a great shot blocker. So a really stiff test for Mike Coates are. He's I, more I, athletic Josh Nebo is what he is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I think you made a good point earlier, and we should start there. The job that Coates are has been able to do, not only – defensively in like a traditional sense in terms of limiting scoring output and, and scoring efficiency, which he's done an unbelievable job. The three that you mentioned that I think are the are the most important and the best to bring up in this case are our Blackshear, Diakite, and Nebo. Blackshear is a little bit of an interesting case because he was definitely hampered by injury in the first half of that Florida game and got into foul trouble. Mm-hmm. And in the second half, he scored a lot, but it was almost all from the free throw. I think seven of his 11 points were from the free throw line. Uh, Diakite, I don't remember his stat line off the top of my head, but it was another good performance in terms of limiting his scoring and same with Josh Nebo he he finished with uh, 16 or 18 points a lot of those again were from the free throw line him getting fouled and the important stat that I mentioned earlier just two rebounds so getting the work done in terms of shutting him down offensively and also keeping him off the glass is going to be top priority for South Carolina on that end of the court yeah and I think that if you're South Carolina you go in and say we're going to try to neutralize Wiley and we're going to try and defend the three-point line and, you know, if Auburn schemes up these things to get some twos and schemes up some open threes, then so be it. They beat us. But South Carolina is not going to let, like, open threes beat them, and they're not going to let Wiley beat them. Um, and you feel good about your chances with Coates are because he's been so good defensively this year, even if he's not putting up stats. Uh, when he's not in foul trouble, he's playing really, really well mm-hmm. defensively. And so... If you can neutralize Wiley and have him average maybe, you know, six points and, you know, four rebounds instead of, you know, half of, you know, double that, which is what he's averaging, you feel pretty good about your chances. And then, obviously, if you get the perimeter defense from Kusnard and Manaya that you want, then, yeah. Well, I mean, there's easily, a ch- there is definitely an avenue to win this basketball game based off trends. Um against Auburn in, in a hostile territory. You definitely feel better about this game, I, I think, than the Kentucky game. I know you didn't feel great about the Tennessee game. Right. Didn't you say you felt better about the Florida game than the Tennessee game? Yeah. I kind of put it in that in, the, in a similar territory. Though. Like I think by percentage, Carolina had a better chance to beat Kentucky. Again, I don't know what these metrics are worth because yeah. they said it was only 25-30% chance to beat Kentucky, and they did it. So it doesn't mean a whole lot, but just sort of as a frame of reference, it's interesting because this does feel like a better matchup for South Carolina, especially how they're playing and give them what their strengths are right now, which is you got a really, really good defensive big man and you got a couple guards that are really figuring it out defensively. I wonder how much injuries and uncertainty in terms of personnel is going to contribute to that. I don't know what Keyshawn Bryant's status is other than like day to day. I don't know if that means that that he should be expected to play or, but there was like no vomiting, right? He didn't black out. He didn't black out, didn't vomit. He didn't have a lot of concussion symptoms, but he had enough, and yeah. I think that he's they're kind of dealing with that and seeing how he responds. Right, and obviously you want to take care of that. You know, got to make sure that he's not rattling that brain around in the skull, but that's a, that's a huge factor. You know, for South Carolina, I think there was maybe some extent to where you're already down Hannibal and Moss, and then Bryant goes out, and it's not like a oh god, what that what's that movies? Uh, I don't know. It's not like you know that that epic scene in the movie where it's like oh we got to do it for. You know, whatever, because yeah. blah, blah, blah. it's like, oh, that stinks. He's out. Sorry, Keyshawn. I hope you're okay. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like tragic. He's not like gone yeah. from the team or anything like that. But it's like, oh, well, all of a sudden we gotta we gotta piece this together without our second best scorer. That's fine, like in a game. But I think going into a, a game like preparing for that and then not having them maybe leaves a little bit more of a void there. And maybe that's where AJ can step back in and shoulder some more of that scoring burden. But they're going to feel that absence. This is a game where it's going to need to be all hands on deck, and you're going to need Keyshawn, you're going to need his defensive versatility. And the other thing is, given that Auburn shoots so many threes, they're such a perimeter-centric team, and they play with a lot of pace, it feels like Carolina's probably going to have to... This is not going to be a game, I don't think, where Frank necessarily gets a lot of minutes, or McCreary, or Levesque. This feels like you're going to play Kusnard, you're going to play Lawson, you're going to play Moss, you're going to play Hannibal if he's available, 
you're going to play Bryant. You're, you, you might, you're not going to see all four of those guys at the same time, but this could be a Justin Minaya at the five kind of game, just trying to, to match and keep up with Auburn if they're going to be raining threes on you all day. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you look at Auburn's start depth chart over the last five games, starting point guard six foot, starting shooting guard six four, um, starting small forward, um, which is Okoro at, at six six, six seven is your power forward and uh, Purifoy, and then Wiley's six eleven, so he's your tallest guy. When Wiley's out there, they're very similar to South Carolina in size, um, especially if Coatsler's not out there, who's six ten, six eleven. Um, so yeah, I think that this is definitely a, a kind of small ball game. Put put as many quick guys as you can on the court. Um, try to keep them outside of the paint. Settle for bad threes. And if you can do that, then Auburn can't score. And you neutralize Wiley with Kotsar, or get him in some foul trouble, which they've had success doing. You look at Nick Richards. You look at Kerry Blackshear. Then you feel pretty good about your chances to win. And and Frank Martin's dominant. I don't think a lot gets talked about the fact that Frank Martin's pretty much owned Bruce Pearl for three or four years now. Which is funny because they were, uh, I think, definitely in the mob together in a past life. And so Frank must just have like all the dirt on him or something like that. Where's don't, Bruce don't, from? I don't know where he's from, but don't you think they were both like. They were know. definitely in an Italian restaurant sometime when like together, you know, you know when, what I mean? Somebody like, got yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, probably so. Yeah. I don't know if that's slanderous for us to say. We're, we're just being funny, I promise. No one get offended. But I think. This is parody. This is all parody. I, I, I yeah. think they were. <laughs> have you seen that episode of Nathan for you? No. No. Okay. Never mind. We'll do that another time. Um, I have to watch. Well, I, Bruce is from Boston, and Frank coached in Boston for a very long time. There you go. So. I, I definitely think they were both at least extras in the movie The Irishman, which if y'all haven't seen, you should go see. It's just still about, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's long. I don't but have it's three really hours good. to commit to. I know three years. and a half, and it's like every bit of that. Yeah. But it's it's really good. It, it it's surprisingly uh, snappy. Like it, it kind of moves along. I, I I was expecting it to be like long and drawn out and I you know I set aside a whole four hour block on a Friday night I was like all right you know I'm ready for this grind crazy never know you know or not knowing what to expect exactly but it was uh it was good and it, and it kind of flew by and it was very entertaining breezy I hate horribly at times. paced movies huh I hate no yeah it was, it was excellently paced um, the point is uh they're both mobsters and so I don't parody know. parody this is parody, all parody. Yeah, yeah Frank Frank has some dirt on Bruce Pearl and so Bruce Pearl can't beat him in basketball something like that uh but to go back to your point about it being a small ball kind of game, that starts, like, if you don't have Keyshawn Bryant, I don't know if you can play that kind of game, and then I think you're forced to try to to try to try impose your will on Auburn, right. which, I mean, ultimately you like you want to do that anyway, but it seems like it's still, it's still feasible for Carolina to play that kind of game, to play small, to put all their guards out there, and to have Keyshawn Bryant be that crucial swing guy, because if you don't, then you're moving AJ up to the three, and you're starting Kuznard at point, and then... Or you put McCreary in there at the four, and... Right, and Minaya yeah. at the three, and, and Lawson at the two, something like that. You're having to shuffle around it, and I guess go with either some more unfamiliar lineups or just kind of play big. So Bryant's health is going to be a huge part of right. of what Carolina's game plan can be and needs to be. I mean, even more than, than Moss and Hannibal, you want both of those guys to be back. You know, it's a shame that Moss missed the Tennessee game because he was coming off the best game Definitely the best game of the season. I don't remember last year. I know he played seven games. I don't know if it's fair to say that's the best game of his career. Um, but Hannibal always gives you defense. You know, force some turnovers, get some easy buckets, which is always important in a game like this, where you expect it's going to be a little more high scoring. Um, probably final score in the high seventies, low eighties would yeah. would be my guess. Which is not necessarily where this team is comfortable. So you get got to get all the free baskets you can. Um, I don't know. I, I still feel pretty good about Carolina's chances, and even if they lose, make sure it's. You know, competitive first of all. Yes, that stuff is taken into consideration. But you are now in a position where it's not absolutely imperative that no, you this win. This isn't game. like a big, big must win for the tournament. Or Worst case like scenario, you're two and three, which is exactly where you needed to be five games into SEC play. Yeah, and right now, Ken Palm gives South Carolina a sixteen percent chance to win. Um, I probably tend to think that it'll be a little bit closer than that. They're saying Auburn wins by eleven. I think that's just large part because of home. And Auburn's so good at home, and that atmosphere is so good there. Mm-hmm. Which I'm excited to. I've never been to Auburn. For okay, that. so you're going to this one because you weren't yeah. able to make it to X and M because that's really, really, really far. Yeah, so we're we're really driving far. the the four hours and fifty three minutes cool. to Auburn, and That'll be fun. yeah, yeah. I've um, never been to Auburn either. I've only been to Alabama like once or twice. I've been. I've been to Huntsville. Fiance's family has. I like Huntsville a lot. Huntsville's. I awesome. think we've talked about this, but yeah. I like Huntsville mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but. Yeah, I'm excited to see Auburn. This will be my first time ever seeing a sporting event there. We stopped through uh, and visited campus once when I was in school. But 
Um, that place is tough to play at, which is why I think that South Carolina, that's why Ken Palm's giving Auburn a lot of credit there. Mm-hmm. And again, I wouldn't predict Carolina to win, but I think this is a winnable game. Oh, very much so, especially after the last seven days where Auburn's now 0-2 and have gotten you know boat raced in two road games since then. Uh, and South Carolina's obviously coming off their week, so... I feel a lot better about this game than I did maybe seven days ago when South Carolina was 0-2 and Auburn was 3-0 in SEC play. Are you someone that looks at that and says, and by that I mean Auburn having lost the last two in pretty convincing fashion, are you someone that looks at that and says, Auburn's lost momentum, Carolina has a shot to play an Auburn team that's down on their confidence, down on their momentum, or are you someone that looks at that and says, wow, you know, this is a real important bounce-back kind of game for Auburn where if they lose, they're definitely out of the top 25, like backs against the wall kind of situation. Which one of those do you think is the, is the I guess, smarter way to approach that? I think Auburn's going to come in pissed off. I think that they're going to try to kind of come in and wash that taste out of their mouth. And But I also look at it and say, well, South Carolina's confident, but it's because they've played good basketball. It's not just like they've they hit a buzzer beater against Kentucky, but they played well in that second half and should have won that game handily yeah. against Kentucky if they make they, free throws. They play, Yeah, the, the free throws, and they play well enough for, even though you miss those free throws, even though some of those other things transpire, you play well enough that you have a chance to win that thing at the buzzer. Yeah, and, and they've just played well, and you've gotten that from them. So I think that you're going to get a very confident South Carolina team and a very pissed-off Auburn team coming in there Wednesday night. And I think it'll be a fun basketball game. Are we reverse jinxing? Oh, we're are we reverse jinxing? Yes, we reverse jinxing. All right, I'll let you go first. No, we'll do the. Well, I like our kid little countdown there. Okay. So, all right, I'll let you do decide three, two, one, or one, two, three. Uh, always three, two, one. Three, okay. two, one, and then go. Because the first time I did three, two, one, you. Well, I screwed it up. Yeah. I really messed well, it I, up. I think you said it on one, and also you thought that that was the countdown, but I was just saying, I'm going to do three, two, one. And then you were like, yeah. oh. And then and it was like, Trey Hannibal. Yeah. Or um, no, I think we were both going. We both, I think we both went Mania. Okay. Yeah, Whatever was it was, I game. completely botched yeah. it. Um, right. I don't even remember who I did last game. Do you remember who I did? Okay. I, know. I think you I said Trey Hannibal. Yeah. I think he... I'm looking. Yeah, I got mine. I got a weird one. Three, two, one, go. Is that what it is? Three. It'll. Well, I'll do. This is for example. Okay. okay I'll, <laughs> I'll back do, away from the mic. Here. <laughs> yeah. I'm turning your mic off. <laughs> I'll do. Uh, I'll do three, two, one, and then we say it. Okay. Three, right. two, one, and then. Yeah. All right. All three. Right. I'm ready. Two, one. AJ Lawson. Are. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Mike Coates are averaging just three points a game in his last two SEC games, but doing shot, everything else really well. Shut three of eleven from the field. Mm. So, so what's what's is this like? A, is this the triple double? The, oh, could this be the is triple it? double? Yeah, I think he's going to neutralize Wiley, get him really? in foul trouble early. Um, triple double against Wiley would be hella impressive. Yeah, maybe score twelve to thirteen, haul in eleven rebounds, get close, get like six or seven assists. Okay, and then cool. Yeah, see I what like happens. That. Um. I have liked what I've seen from AJ the last couple games. Frank Martin has as well. He didn't get to play a lot against Texas A&M because he was in foul trouble, but it, I mean, his shot was there. He hit four of seven. He's money from that corner three. He just needs to take no other shots other than that corner three, and you feel like he's going to make like all ball of them. hand off three things. They like <laughs> yeah, flip exactly. it to him. Yeah, um, just like run the triangle. Just like run the ball up, hand it off to the guy, go stand in the corner, and get it back, and hit a three. Yep. I like the mentality. The defense has been better. You know, the, the mentality going to the glass getting rebounds, just getting himself involved. It felt like the Texas A&M game was maybe the game that he was going to get back on track, but foul trouble derailed him. I think he's going to have an opportunity. This is, like I said, I think it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game. I don't think Carolina's going to attempt 33s again, but we know Auburn's going to take a lot. I think there are going to be a lot of threes taken in this game. Carolina, not 30. Wouldn't be surprised if they took 20 in this game. It feels like maybe a game where A.J. Lawson gets it back. Elevated by Justin Minai, the glue guy who held it together. And it's kind of funny. When you think about how to build a team, not like build a team, but it's like you start the season and it's like, okay, you know you have AJ and Keyshawn. They're going to give you 30 points a game. And then you have like your next level glue guy role players. You know, maybe you get eight to 10 from Anaya. You get, you know, six or so from Kotsar. And then you hope that the role players kind of fill in. But this team, as it has started to find its identity, has kind of gone the other direction where it's like, okay, here are the role players. You're going to get six from McCreary, and you're going to get two or four from Frank, and you're going to get, like, four from Hannibal and two or four from Moss. And it's like you have the solid foundation of, like, the outermost guys. And then the last couple games, the difference has been, okay, glue guy Justin Minaya and, like, somewhere between a role player and a star, but not quite a glue guy and Kuznard. And then, like, the last piece that you're waiting for is the stars. 
Yeah, this is a team without a star right. at this point. Right. And, and, you know, part of that is Bryant was obviously hurt for almost all of last game, and then Lawson's just been AWOL. But it's like, that's, it's funny that that's the piece you're waiting on. Normally, it's like, you know, with Georgia, it's like you have Anthony Edwards. No one else is filling Everything in. You're not filling in. in with the glue guys and the role players. But Carolina's got the role players. They've got the glue guy. And then, like, the star in waiting in Kusnard, based on the last couple of games, you're just waiting for the the guy that was supposed to be there the whole time. Keystone to actually in the arch, there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe wishful thinking, you know, for South Carolina. But I feel like this is maybe a game where, where Lawson gets gets it back. And we both think low 80s, high 70s. Yeah. If we were going to make predictions, I would, if we were going to make predictions, I would say South Carolina wins this basketball game. Wow, I think you've been. I think the only game that you predicted Carolina would lose, interestingly enough, was well, I guess we didn't we didn't say anything about Tennessee, but you. Uh, I would have predicted them to lose to Tennessee and to Florida, and Kentucky. Oh really? I thought we I thought we felt pretty good. If about we didn't Florida. do predictions, yeah, but well, we don't we don't do predictions. We, predictions we think it'll be high scoring. Carolina scored eighty one, even if they're not making. They have a very good shot to win this basketball game. Yeah. yeah. Steals some extra possession. So that is Saturday at, ooh, it's 7 o'clock, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's 7 o'clock, prime time. Uh, so enjoy that. Do my best. Yeah. Well, you and everybody listening. It should yeah. be, yeah, if nothing else, hope, hopefully it's an entertaining game. But most importantly, Carolina's back on track. And then a nice five-game stretch where you have four very winnable games. And at Arkansas, even now, looks a little bit more interesting than it did just about a week or a week and a half ago. So we will obviously be back on Thursday to recap whatever happens against Auburn on Wednesday night. And then look ahead to South Carolina's next game against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. That's right. They get to play Vanderbilt, which is great news. So y'all twice enjoy. This year. Huh? Twice this year. Yeah, twice this year. <laughs> twice them, twice Georgia, twice Mississippi State, twice, twice Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M. Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Okay, there you go. I don't remember which one I forgot the first time. Oh, Texas A&M. That's exactly who you want to play yep. two times. It just has worked out so far very, very well for South Carolina. But y'all enjoy the game. We'll be back on Thursday. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this and everything else on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Don't forget to read Colin on GamecockCentral.com. He's got a good breakdown learning about the opponent. If you didn't do that enough in this podcast, you've got it in the written word and a couple of things that we didn't touch on in this podcast. It's definitely worth reading on GamecockCentral.com. And obviously your instant analysis and what we learned in the immediate aftermath of all the game. Uh, You write a lot. How many words do you write a week? Do you know? Too many. A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. you all should be reading all of them on GameCockCentral.com and follow him on Twitter at Colin Taylor. That's Colin with a Y. I'm at Pearson Fowler. If for some reason you all want to follow me after I admitted that I didn't watch the game live and wasn't live tweeting it, I apologize for that. I usually do. I was just, I was playing tennis on Saturday. Sometimes I live tweeted it. I wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> From that's right. Yeah, the first. My fiance's apartment. Yeah. That's right. Man. Anyways, y'all enjoy the game. Great review. Subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you on Thursday.